The move from an idea to a lab to a finished product isn't easy in any business, but it's happening in agriculture. Welcome to Around Farm Progress, a weekly podcast that looks at issues across the country as reported by our editors. I'm Willie Vogt, your host and editorial director for Farm Progress. This week, Mindy Ward, editor of Missouri Ruralist, and I talk ag tech. She shared the story of an ag startup, Benson Hill, which in just eight years has created a new business around gene-edited crops. And she got perspective from an interesting farmer who is growing some of that crop for 2020. And she and I discuss an ag startup I've been following almost from the beginning, Anuvia, that's about to fire up a full-size plant to bring its fertilizer product fully to market. Today's farmer has more access to new technology than ever, but the key we discuss today is what it takes to make these new tools work in the real world. Listen in as Mindy and I share information about what we've learned following these companies. So Mindy, I think as I start this today, I'm beginning to think that maybe you and I should just do a every once in a while just together get together and talk about the tech we keep running across and have a dialogue rather than just me interviewing you but or vice versa and that's what i want to start with today is to talk to you a little bit about something kind of interesting that happened in st louis and in in the missouri area with a new startup but they're for real i mean they're working with farmers and that's benson hill can you tell me a little more about that and their business model what's going on there sure um, Benson Hill, like you said, is based in St. Louis. And what I'm pretty impressed by some of these smaller startups is, you and I both know, they're becoming a really big deal. And this one started in 2012. And I know that technology moves at the speed of light. But if you think about it, that's just like eight years ago. To me, that seems like a short span of time to be where it's at today, which is it's considered a food technology company, which means it looks at food science, uh, data science and plant biotechnology. And what they did, they just recently opened up a 52,160,000 square foot headquarters here in St. Louis, Missouri. So it's pretty impressive feat, I think, in a short amount of time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so. Yeah, it is. And I spoke with their CEO, Matt Crisp, and he says that the company is going to it focuses on like innovation of making food taste better, um, making it healthier. And what he coins as he's looking at the ingredient options from plant to plate. And so one of their focus areas is on this plant based protein market, along with high oleic and ultra high oleic soybeans. And so they actually introduced me to a farmer in Northwest Iowa. His name is Grant Pottist, and he's uh, planting and he's now harvesting uh, Benson Hill soybean varieties for seed for next year. And Grant is a guy who has an interesting background because he came to Benson Hill first as an investor. So he spent 25 years on Wall Street and he said he was looking at the biotech portion of Benson Hill's portfolio. And uh, what he was most excited about was their use of CRISPR technology, um, you know, where CRISPR technology can edit the genome to make soybeans look and taste better, that type of thing. So that's where he decided, you know, I like it for their technology. I like it for the advancement. I like the startup. It seems to be run well. And as an investor, He decided that was a great opportunity. But then when he got into looking at the development of their non-GMO or their high and ultra high oleic soybeans, 
That's when he decided perhaps he could use it on his farm. Now I'm going to tell you, he is still a New Yorker. So he manages his farm from New York, but he goes back home, he says, and he gets in the combine and he does the grunt work. So he's a guy who looks at what he's not only in suits in New York, but he comes home and he knows where he's from and he's running their uh, family farm over there. So he's impressed with what he sees coming out of you know, like you said, this biotechnology space and the advances that they're making there. And um, the company says they have uh, Matt actually said that he had farmers that are growing from Nebraska all the way to Maryland, which I wouldn't have thought. Um, and then down as far south as Arkansas, which to me is not too far south because it's, you know, just a state away. <laughs> right. <laughs> they started their own seed company. I mean, that's part of their business model is they opened a seed company last December. Mm-hmm. Um, Benson Hill Seeds, which is part of this, because, you know, before they were all, it always seemed to me when I would write about them or talk to Matt, they were kind of in the lab and doing deals and trying to figure out opportunities. And the next thing I know, they're a seed company and they're selling seed and now they're doing the end to end, right? Plant to plate approach. So, yeah, it's pretty interesting how they've taken on the market and also stuck with their focus all the way across too. we're going to be using CRISPR. We're going to be making beans better. And, yeah, some of the tech they've got is pretty crazy. Right. And that's what um, Grant was saying is the interest that he got in it actually from his daughter um, because she was in the medical field and saw how much that was being used there and said there was just potential he didn't really look at or think about in the ag space. And so when he saw that was happening there, um, he decided to invest in it. And and to me, what's so entertaining and, and impressive is these small startups and they're partnering with farmers. And he said, they work directly with you. It's not like, you know, you're having to work through layers and layers and layers at larger companies. This small, smart startup companies are, you know, one-on-one. And he says, at the end of the day, what they offered was they're paying a premium. And you know you're going to get the premium because they just deal honestly. And he says they deal fairly um, with farmers. So not only, you know, did he invest in the company and he's raising it, but in the end, he said it has to work out financially because he's a numbers guy. I mean, that's all he does is he looks at numbers, you know, a lot. And he said, you know, I'm not going to do something that isn't going to be financially beneficial for my operation. And this was one opportunity that he saw that was beneficial for his operation on all fronts. So um, technology is actually moving ag forward at such a great pace. That, and it's kind of fun to see the small companies get a piece of that, uh, you know, and to be able to realize success with that. Yeah. And the, the small companies have worked. I mean, Benson Hills work with some major companies on other Perfect. sides of their business. But you're right. I mean, they, that them owning a seed company and coming forward with their own brands and working with farmers is fascinating to me. And it's nice that it's soybeans, you know, so many of these startups and the one we're going to talk about in a moment, you hear a lot about startups and, oh, they're going to specialty crops. It's like, I got a new thing for strawberries. It's like, hey, you have a nice day. When you got something for corn and beans, give me a call. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of my answer when a startup goes, hey, would you like to ride around our product? And I said, where are you headed? Well, we're going to be doing specialty crops in the, you know, in the, in Southern California. I said, I got an editor for that. You have a nice day. Right. Um, and then right. later I move on and go do something else. But, but I think for the corn and soybean farmer who has struggled with prices and struggled with these markets, um, there are opportunities out there. And these startups are, like you say, starting to get real. And the, this uh, plant-to-plate challenge uh, is is the fact that, okay, a high-oleic soybean oil um, that's not 
technically non-GMO because it was uh, created with using the genes already in the bean, using their CRISPR technology. So they're shutting something off or turning something on. That's how this works. Uh, all inside the plant, no added third, uh, you know, transgenic product. It's just the soybean. I'm just clarifying that for people listening on the podcast who don't quite get gene editing. Uh, CRISPR is a pretty big deal. But on top of the technology is, okay, great, you got a high lake soybean. So I'm a buyer of high lake oil because it's got great traits from the standpoint of it lasts longer in my fryers. It's uh, a better tasting product, a higher smoke point. Lots of things in the food industry that they like. But the first question I have is, is how much can you get me? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have the beans, you can't give me the oil. That's really cool. But it's interesting that you talk to a farmer, a Wall Street farmer. I love those guys. They're fascinating to talk to, though, because they do, they kind of take that left turn on it and they go, wait, you know, if this doesn't pay, why would I do it? Exactly. And they vet it to see, will this work? And um, granted, this is his first year, but, you know, already he says, you know, he's seen the beans perform well. Uh, so he's very excited about what's moving forward. And uh, he thinks it'll garner a lot of attention um, in the industry as well as to farmers. Of course, it already garnered the attention of Sonny Purdue because he actually came down and was at the grand opening. Yeah. Um, even despite the whole, you know, COVID travel, I wasn't able to go in. There was only a certain amount of people who were able to go in and actually see it. And uh, Matt and them have promised, and now he's on a podcast and he has to deliver, uh, that we would have that opportunity to go in there. Because like you said, a lot of it is lab work, but uh, COVID sometimes keeps us at bay. However, it didn't keep you at bay, did it? So you have recently no. traveled to Florida. Is that right? Yes, I made a trip to Florida actually this week. And this is to get a chance to see something that I've actually been following since 2016. So it's a company called Anuvia. Started with some veterans. Uh, the founders weren't veterans in ag, but the veterans in ag that are running it now have history with uh, uh, old line chemical companies like Seba uh, and Herxt and Arista and people like that. And they're now have this product. And I, I heard some stories this week that I hadn't heard even from covering it from the beginning. And uh, here's the situation. Anuvia makes a product. They make a fertilizer. They make two versions of the fertilizer. Uh, Simtrex 10S, which is now going to be marketed by Mosaic as Sustera. And then I'll get to why that's important in a minute. And the, their own product, Simtrex 20S, which is more of a nitrogen product. 10S is more of a FOS product. And that's how it's going to be sold. And then 20S is more of a nitrogen product. Big whooping deal, right? So the stock for Anuvia, they can take anything into their plant and turn it into fertilizer. And what I mean by that is they could take food waste. They can take manure. They can take sludge from a water treatment plant or sewage treatment plant in a city. They can take dry material. They can take what a lot of the sludge stuff is more like mud. They can take mm -hmm. that, all that kind of stuff in. They put it into their process. And what they're basically doing is using carbon-based substrate and breaking it all the way down to just amino acids using sulfuric acid. Then they put as they push it through the process, it's got sulfuric acid. It might have phosphoric acid added and then ammonia. So the first thing they want to tell you is, and they make it clear all the time when they talk about this is, it's got a carbon organic start, but it is not in any way an organic fertilizer. It's a commercial fertilizer that is 16% organic matter, 
because of its base. But it's a cool way to use stuff that doesn't get used. A lot of that stuff gets buried in landfills. So if we could use it in fertilizer and put it back out and feed the soil. And the interesting thing about having 16% carbon, at least according to their research and the conversations I've had, is that's feeding the microbiome in the soil while the nitrogen and the phosphorus feed the plant. So in other words, you're putting this on the ground. It's a granular. It's a consistent size granule. It's consistently delivers the same thing no matter what the starting point was. If it starts with pig manure or if it starts with food waste at the back end, it's still going to be Simtrex 20S because of the way the tech works. And so one of the things I heard was I said to the person, uh, the CEO, Amy Yoder, I said, so what did you hear about this? Or when did you bring in, come into this? Because, you know, she's from a sixth generation farm and comes in and she said, when they first started, they were in a lab and they were making 20 pounds of this stuff and it took a week. Mm. So then they opened a proof of concept plant in Zellwood, Florida, which is near Orlando. It does 80,000 tons a year. So what's the big deal? Why did I go to Plant City? Uh, next week, Anuvia will actually be commercial. They they couldn't have gotten the Mosaic deal without being commercial. They What they've done is they've opened a commercial sized plant. They will be able to start with 400,000 tons with the capacity to go to 1.2 million tons if as this thing ramps up in this single facility. And what they did was, and this is separate from the, the Mosaic deal I just talked about, but Mosaic had an old phosphate plant with granulation technology sitting in Plant City, Florida that they were shutting down. And Anubia's whole focus is to be more carbon centric, more about renewables. And so they didn't want to start with what they call a greenfield plant, you know, breaking ground on an open field and opening another fertilizer plant. What they wanted to do was figure out how to bolt their technology onto an existing old plant and make fertilizer. And that's what they've done. And it was really funny. You get to this and it's a, it's an old fertilizer plant and it's it's it looks like it, right? And you walk up and there's some shiny stuff. There's a green building out front and there's some pipe work. And the plant manager, Chris, Man Chris Larson, says, the shiny stuff is ours. The the old <laughs> the older stuff that we're still using that's original mosaic plant and see mosaic by law in Florida is required to even as they break the plant down to maintain control of the plant for 50 years even if it's a dead space so they're actually being able to use it they get lease money from a mosaic a Anuvia Anuvia is making product and they're using up some existing stuff so th there's lots of um, interesting environmental benefit to them taking on this plant to make this commercial fertilizer. So do they source, you know, their inputs like like manure or the wastewater sewage uh, sludge from there in Florida or do they take it from other places or, or how do they get what they need um, in order to make this fertilizer? It's going to be from everywhere, but right mm. now it's a lot of it's Florida, but they can, if it's the dry product, it can be brought in by rail. So say um, a Smith, they have a deal with Smithfield, for example. Smithfield does a lot with methane, taking methane off hog operations and using it for power at the hog operation, right? But Correct. when you use an anaerobic digester, once you got all the methane off, there's still something left. <laughs> there's some stuff there in the bottom that's got to go. Well, they're taking that stuff from Smithfield. It hasn't coming in yet, but now that they're going commercial, they will. That could be trucked in from Smithfield hog operations or methane digesters, and they've got big ones. And brought to a newbie and then so it's it goes from feed to pig to methane digester to fertilizer to field in other words it's a full it's honest to have in a full circle of life thing 
Right. And in this area um, and time when there's all food waste and that's been a hot topic for a long time um, of that we don't eat everything that we actually produce and that it goes to waste. Well, here's an opportunity I think consumers would like not only just from the food waste aspect, but also from the hog manure, like you said, aspect of there's something left over there. We've done as much as we can. And, you know, some of it will go back on to farmers fields. But if there's another opportunity to make it more consistent, (laughs) because manure is not always consistent you know in what it has um i i don't know i think this is something that consumers might get behind as well did they talk about that at all of what they thought this would do for a consumer perception well their their investor community is incredibly interested in it Mm. um which is kind of fun and the other thing is that and i want to verify this for farmers listening if you hear about simtrex 20s at your dealership or Sestera from a mosaic at a dealer. This stuff works in your granular fertilizer spreader. You just use it like normal. There is no need for you to change what you do to use this product. If you're using granular fertilizer, you can mix this in and use it, put it on. And that's cool too, because here you are building soil health, because it does this 16% carbon going back on your ground can build soil health. And you don't have to do a darn thing. You don't have to no offense, cover crop fans. You don't have to plant a cover crop. You don't have to do anything different. There's not a new management step. You may be doing that. That's cool. But you can also add this or use this and do that kind of thing. But yes, that's our one of their challenges is telling the consumer story. But they had to be real first. And so that's part of this. Uh, right. As they get more into the market, that's a story that they can tell. The other thing is, you know, manure is great. It's an excellent source of phosphorus and nitrogen. It's also slow release. I mean, like two years. And so this product, and that was the other thing. And so we talked about specialty crops before, and that's why I was excited about Benson Hill really looking at soybeans and making a better bean um, and maybe even solving the, pr- the protein problem in soybeans. They've got a wicked high protein product, yes. which is, yes, obviously our impossible burger friends. Correct. Like. But the other side of, yeah, but I'll make money on that. Mm-hmm. You yes. know, I'm a farmer. But the thing with, that got me with the Nubias, and they were clear about this from the beginning, they were wanted to be in broad acre commercial farms. This product is available, what they call the three C's, corn, cotton, and canola. Oh. Those are the crops they're looking at. When I started writing about Anuvia in 2016, and I'll put a link into the original story I wrote that ran in Farm Industry News online that includes a video of how this process works. To today, in five, four years, they went from the Zellwood 80,000 ton plant to this facility, which has three trains, is what they call them, trains. The first train goes online next week at 400,000 tons per year as capacity, but there are two more trains and they could go as high as 1.2 million tons. And uh, that's pretty freaking cool from my standpoint. I'm not praising this company. If there are, there are other startups out there doing great things like Benson Hill, we want to keep telling those stories. Right, because you need those ones who are innovators, those who may take their small idea and turn it into something, like you said, in such a short amount of time. I think eight years is short. Um, I think that amount of time, and I know technology goes fast, but we need those individuals who are still out there pushing that envelope, looking for things that um, will not only benefit farmers, but also consumers, but also the planet. And 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 without these small startups and you know these technology innovators, I, I'm not sure you know where ag would be heading. But I, I do applaud them for. I don't have that ability <laughs> to just throw it all on the line. I am not that entrepreneur. 
And my husband attests to that I am just not one who is a big risk taker on a lot of things, even though I'd like to be. Um, I'm one of, of course, I'm in the show me state. So it's one of those, you got to prove it to me a couple of years before I jump all in. But man, we need those individuals who are big thinkers and uh, who really can push that envelope and turn things around so quickly. So I, I applaud both of them for being able to do that. You have to not only have the vision, you have to have the vision strong enough that your vision engages other people and brings them in. Yeah, and I think we have to have farmers or I hope that farmers will, will take a chance sometimes, I mean, and maybe lower that down and get behind these smaller startups and, and you know, uh, do the things like Grant is doing and, you know, putting some of their, um, you know, hard time and money and planting these and seeing what happens. And because, you know, without these smaller ones, like you said, they work with large companies. They are part of the arms of different large companies or, or and but they need to have that backing and support of, OK, I'm going to work with the startup to see what it's like. It would be interesting um, to see how that turns out for farmers if they actually got on board um, on a number of these. But like I wouldn't know every single startup that is out there because I don't work on Wall Street and I'm not an investor. <laughs> and I'm a lot of away. farmers are like, I'm doing my job at least just to get the crops in the field and out of the field. So they don't really have that time to look at that investment aspect of startups. But I think it would be worth their time as well. And I was very happy to hear that Grant found the one thing that's always a question when a farmer's asked to raise a new crop. So how does it yield? Yes. Because a, a yield drag on a product like that will kill it. They're looking to triple their soybean acres and uh, for farmers looking to grow some or contract with them. So that is still an opportunity out there. So they're looking to do that over the next year because they've seen such a demand in it. So uh, there is an opportunity for farmers if they want to you know, get in touch with Benson Hill and see what there is. Reach out BensonHill.com, I think is the website. So um, that'd be where I'd start. And it's Benson, O-N, Benson yes. Hill. Yes. And, well, that's to be clear. So, uh, Mindy, thanks for joining me here on Around Farm Progress. Um, you take care and stay safe. I will. Glad you made it back from Florida. <laughs> me too. <laughs> that we're not talking about on the podcast. Take care. <laughs> All righty. Bye-bye. Sharing ideas and talking ag tech is always fun, and getting Mindy Ward's perspective offers added insight into this growing world of new ag innovation. And we know more tools are coming. You've been listening to Around Farm Progress, our weekly look at agriculture across the United States with editors from the Farm Progress team. Farm Progress is the nation's leading agriculture information source with 17 state and regional magazines as well as Farm Futures, Beef, National Hog Farmer, and Feedstuffs, and the new Farm Progress Virtual Experience. If you didn't tune in to the premiere of the Farm Progress Virtual Experience, you can still visit the site to see more. Just visit farmprogressshow.com for a direct connection to the virtual event, where all the field demonstrations, exhibitor links, and breakout sessions remain available. Join us next week as we continue our agriculture journey around the country. I'm Willie Vogt, Editorial Director at Farm Progress. Thanks for listening. <music>